Hello and welcome to the second anniversary episode of Nerds Amalgamated. Now you might think, hold on, wasn't last week the anniversary episode? If you think that, you're wrong because it's this week. My co-hosts are, as usual, Buck and the DJ. How have you guys been going, enjoying our actual anniversary? Yeah, we'll be good, yeah. Can't believe it. We survived the second year intact. Really? Was someone out to get you? (laughs) I did try. I'm sorry I missed. <laughs> yeah, Bucky keeps trying. Yeah, Bucky keeps trying to trying try to kill me with a blowtorch, but it doesn't work. Blowtorch. Don't yeah. know about a blowtorch. Oh, Bucky and his denials. Okay, okay. <laughs> and Buck thinks he's got a soundboard, but can your soundboard do this? <laughs> um, I think that one got stepped on, so it sounds a bit sad. Yeah, let me find it. <laughs> He's gonna find it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, <Cool it> now. <laughs> Alrighty. Anyway, this week we have Buck talking about global greening, DJ and the reactions to the new June movie and coronavirus in the Chinese film industry, and myself with EA's plan for 2020. So, Buck, take it away. Um, Well, yep. Um, As stated, I'm going to be talking about global greening. Um, As everyone's always talking about the issue of global warming, and we're always trying to find ways to live a bit more environmentally friendly and smarter, but apparently research is now coming out and showing that Global warming is actually also helping to improve global greening. So um, Shi Shen, a Boston University graduate researcher, and Renga Manini, another Boston University College of Arts and Sciences professor of Earth and Environment, have released a new paper that looks at um, how humans are helping to increase the Earth's plant and tree cover. So for those who don't who aren't aware of it there's um constant satellite research and by observation of what's happening to see where things are at and there's over 250 scientific studies um land monitoring satellite data and all that are, that have been used in this as well that show that the earth is actually getting greener and it's actually due to the rising carbon dioxide emissions, which help trees and plants grow. So um, we're in a bit of a catch-22 position there because it's actually suggesting in research that it's delaying the rate of global warming by 0.2 to 0.25 degrees Celsius. Not a huge amount, but every little bit helps. I'm sure it works better when all those trees don't burn down as well. Well, yeah, but we had to have a barbecue. We're Australia. (laughs) But all up, um, we're looking at roughly a 30% increase in greenness since the 80s. Um, I think it was saying Uh, there was an overall increase started a lot more since the 1980s and yeah it's just a continuous improvement and we're actually seeing over the last 40 years carbon emissions from fossil fuel use and tropical deforestation have actually added 160 
parts per million for air pollutants of CO2. And Which is fun because we're rapidly approaching the point where you start to see uh, actual impairment to cognition as a result of high CO2 levels. Oh, yeah. Um, if it depends on what part of the planet you go to, um, the biggest concentration of the carbon emissions all seem to be populating areas strongly associated with politics because there's always an inverse correlation of the further you get away from the areas of politics, the less stupidity seems to be around. <laughs> so, well, here's the funny thing with um, with the whole global warming thing. When global warming became a big bit of an issue, people were saying like, "Oh, in the next few years, thanks to global warming, we will never see snow again." And years later, we see record snowfalls. Well, it turns out that the climate is an incredibly complex thing, and that global warming is a thing and is happening, but the effects aren't quite what they predicted 20 years ago. Because back then they didn't understand things like the polar vortex. So mm-hmm. the reason for the record snowfalls in the northern hemisphere is because of the cooling of, I believe it's the cooling of the ocean. Sorry, the warming of the oceans. Yes. Which is disrupting the flow of currents that carry warm air up to the north. Mm-hmm. So uh, because of the, yeah, it's complicated, but the changing temperature and salinity because it's melting the ice caps. Normally, the current would carry warm air into the north, and that weather system would push the polar vortex into the Arctic. But with that um, system declining, the polar vortex is shifting over the uh, northern hemisphere. Yeah. Yeah. What you're talking about there, um, the major factor is the Gulf Stream. Yes, that's the one. Sorry, what was that? That's the one, the Gulf Stream. Yeah. flows from the... uh, the Gulf of Mexico up to England. I'm uh, not sure if it's the Gulf of Mexico. I think that it, it's the east coast of America, so near the Bahamas and Brazil, that area. It flows from there up to um, that because that goes over to Europe. I think the Gulf of Mexico is on the western side of the continent. Okay. But, um, the the water flows up there and it carries. Um, warm water up, which raises the temperature and eases some of the conditions. But yeah, so like, there's a lot of um, information that's coming out here. It's saying, oh, here we go. Um, with all the, like we're saying about the parts, so many parts per million, um, and that's been the stuff they've been measuring and observing since the 1980s, which is when they were getting all excited about the hole in the ozone layer, which Last time I checked, it was apparently starting to repair itself. Yeah, the ozone layer issues have been resolved because we stopped using CFCs and the other chemicals that disrupt it. Yeah. So the the paper, the actual paper we were looking, I was looking at originally um, is characteristics, drivers, and feedbacks of global greening, and has a lot of incredibly gifted researchers. Because there's also some from um, was it Norway, I think, as well. Yeah, the Norway. There's Hans Tomovic is one of the co-authors, who's at the Norwegian Institute for Nature Nature Research. Um, so, if you want to do something really, really good for global warming, have trees, lots of trees. I, I can't remember the exact um, conversion figure, but one. 
20-foot tree is equivalent to so many acres of or hectares of grass for producing oxygen and taking carbon out of the atmosphere. And once you have a log, that locks up um, carbon for decades, possibly, depending on how yeah. you store it. Well, um, back to the atmosphere straight away. Yeah, there was. Uh, I was watching a documentary. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Sorry, but it was um, about a guy building a house in Norway, and it was the most. He, he wanted it to be the most environmentally friendly house he could get. And he built it entirely out of timber for the, the structure and everything like that. And he said the reason for that is because that helps to remove that carbon from the pro- from the atmosphere with the trees. And it was from sustainably sourced um, pine plantations for the timber. So, yeah. Now comes the fun part. When will the when when does winter hit for him? And what will he do when when's winter? Um, well, I think I know the guy Buck's talking about from a. I might have seen a YouTube video on it, but yeah. uh, I don't remember um, who it was. The, the uh, he's going to be quite okay in winter. He's he's living in Norway from memory, and he's got no issues. Yeah, so Norway itself, uh, if you're in the southern parts, doesn't get that cold. But he also, if I'm remembering the right guy, had a uh, had a heating system. Like, I think it was wood a wood stove, but uh, it was flued out through the floors to heat the floors and all these other techniques that make it more efficient. Yeah, um, he had a number of different systems from memory here because he also had um, a couple of wind generators, wind turbines, um, providing electricity because the area he lived in those. Lots of wind blowing through because he was on the edge of an, uh, one of the smaller islands on the coast of Norway. And he also had tidal flow generator providing all, all of his electricity between the two systems. Um, and he had areas where there was glass walls with, um, I think it's triple pane, to, tri- triple pane glazing to help keep the cold out and keep the warmth in for during the day and that he could cover over with um, heavy curtains on the inside to retain the heat later on at night and his floors were concrete with special heating system through it so if you um just curiously is this the guy who made the world's tallest timber building um i uh, think so okay because there is another person in norway who's built the world's tallest timber building it's 80 85.4 meter high tower and it's built using cross laminated timber Okay. And it looks really cool from the outside. Timber is a beautiful medium to look at. So, And the uh, columns were made from glued laminated timber uh, called glulum. Glulum is made from wood that is pl- um, planed then glued together to form columns or beams and can be used in places of concrete or steel elements. Um, this tower was built four stories at a time in consecutive st- five consecutive construction stages, an internal scaffolding, and a large crane was used to hoist the prefabricated sections and floor slabs into place. Okay, so, yeah, there's a lot of advanced building techniques that uh, architects and builders are looking into using wood these days mm-hmm. because it it is good for the environment to um, lock up that carbon, and it can be cheaper depending on how you source the wood and in some cases stronger. But um, yeah, there's a lot of research going on at the moment into 
processing wood to make it an even better material. Uh, anyway, speaking of uh, greening the planet, which is a side plot in June, what are people saying about June, DJ? <sighs> so, according to the sci-fi writer Brian Clement in his recently deleted tweets, um, he is saying that um, this movie is going to be described as a mix of grim, grimy realism and dreamlike imaginary. Um, he's also saying that the sets are enormous and the same scope as B, um, BR 2049 and Arrival. So Blade Runner 2049, I think he's referencing. Um, other tweets he's saying, as a follow-up to my opinion on the new Dune, it's based um, only on footage I saw. I think this will blow people away. Uh, Lord of the Rings, like Lord of the Rings did 20 years ago and the way Star Wars did 40 years ago. So maybe uh, Villeneuve has filmed the unfilmable, he's quoting. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> this is my favorite sci-fi. Uh, so yeah. considering he uh, deleted it, I wonder if he got a tap on the shoulder from the studio. Oh, I, I think he must have learned. The, uh, but then here's the thing. He hasn't learned the lesson of the Internet never forgets. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I see uh, scrolling down through there, they've got what looks like uh, set photos filmed at Petra. Oh. So uh, Petra is also a set, well, it's a uh, partially constructed town in Jordan that was, it's an ancient town that was being built into the sides of a cliff face. Mm -hmm. And it's used as the, uh, what's the name of it? The place where the Holy Grail was kept in Indiana Jones is actually based off the front of Petra. Of ah. one of the it, was actually, it was actually Petra. Okay, so they actually filmed it there? Um, yeah, because there's actually a, n a number of different locations in like the entire area of Petra. And they're yep. not sure whether it's... Because the, there's a lot of debate whether it's partially constructed or not because... There's a lot of um, detail that's gone into it. And uh, there's actually research that says it was done, originally done as um, mausoleums and tombs, but that the better ones used them as campsites instead. Okay. Well, I so see that. Ray Roberts robbed everything, and the, the better ones have used them as campsites going back thousands, well, however many centuries. Yep. I see from the, the photo that I've got. Uh, a someone in a sort of desert robe cloak thing um, standing on a, a rock in front of Petra. So I wonder if they're using it as a, a siege for the movie. Mm -hmm. They do have camels there, which I don't recall camels being used by any of the main houses, which would make me think it would be a uh, Fremen location. But or did it would the, just be they went out there for the day for fun. I was going to say, did the Fremen actually even use um, camels though? No, I don't think they had any uh, herd animals. Yeah, so other than the worms, all the, everything else was all the, um, hop, the the hoppers and yeah, yeah. I don't think there were actually any camels. Although maybe it's um, being used as a set for Arakeen would also make sense. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it was um, just in between yeah. shoots because it's a major um, tourist attraction. You can only close it off for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. And they're filming up at, uh, well, presumably they're filming in Jordan if they've got uh, set photos at Petra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know who that who the guy in the photo is supposed to be because he's not dressed as a Fremen. No, he's got exposed skin and no steel suit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, for, um, the guy also tweets um, 
saying, to be honest, it's not exactly how I pictured the universe of Dune when I re- when I first read the book, but that's a good thing. I really like the look Villeneuve has created, and I think it's going to be spectacular. Ooh, I, sounds well, we like it. An entire year we got to wait before we find <laughs> out whether it's good or bad. How's it uh, yeah. Or did it get delayed? Uh, we have a poster here coming in 2020. Yeah. December 18, 2020. Yep. So, yeah, okay, we've got to so wait, wait a year. Yeah, effectively a year. At least it'll come out in the middle of that hot Australian summer, so we'll have full immersion. Yeah, know, but I'll, I'll be sitting inside the air conditioning watching this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Like, we, we always get the whole, like, yes, this is going to be the best movie of all summer, and then people go, ah. Is no, we'll see, we're not saying that. We're just, it's one of the most anticipated movies for us. Yeah, I still have time to mess it up, completely and utterly mess it up. Although, now think about it, do major movies in the US usually come out in summer or winter? They come out in summer. Okay, which would be winter for us. So December's an odd time for a, a major no. movie to come out, isn't it? No. Okay. Um, I'm. That, you, you just made a mistake there. Um, yeah. All the no, major okay. movie releases are usually December. Um started January because you get all the all the really big ones are coming out then like when you think back like Lord of the Rings was yeah. always um like boxing day or whatever um all all of the big movies it was that's that's the time they come out well you're implying that I actually care to check what time movies come out and I don't just go and see whatever's out and plus the and plus it's most of the, um, it's okay. They also come in summer, but they also come in winter. But then that's during the winter. It's more the Christmas time. So yeah, yeah. the yeah. endless horrors of Christmas movies. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm hoping this is amazing. And I've heard. I think I heard rumors that they might be splitting the first book into two parts, which would make a lot of sense because there's uh, quite a lot of content to cover, and it has a natural split about halfway through the book. Mm-hmm. Well, you, when you think about it, um, they turned um, The Hobbit into three movies just because there was so much in there. Uh, they didn't do it well, but they it was one of the be- better adaptions we've seen. I mean, they made The Hobbit into a smaller book than any of the Lord of the Rings movies, and they made it into three movies. Yeah, and they made the Lord of the Rings, it should have been three movies each into just one movie each. Yeah. yeah no. It's there's it's a conundrum there. They they've they've stuffed up on some things, but they've done yeah. other things well. So it's kind so. of natural that they'd have to throw in all of the uh, the filler that they did, which is why people have made uh, special cuts that strip it back to just the uh, the book version. Yeah, but um, there's there's always so much like you're going to have people who are going to be upset with the movie no matter what you, you do. Um, and when you look at books such as June, doing it as just one movie is pretty much an insult to it because it's you're barely scratching the surface of it yeah it's kind of like um when we looked at um was it, was it the rise of skywalker or the the last um jedi that came out last year just last year yeah yeah um rise of skywalker that, that's it um there were so many areas in that movie that were just raced across when we did the special episode and we're talking about it where there's so many other areas that you now want to know about like the more you the more you watch that movie the more you're going to be going well let's hear more about um these other characters because what they've done like um what's his name with the 
he was a spice pirate or whatever. Oh, um, Poe. Poe. And is Finn going to join Poe as the new um, Han Solo and um, Calrissian? So there's all these different things that are just being skimmed across the surface and glossed over. And it, it leaves you wanting more, but it also cheapens it. And if they do that with June, which is what a lot of them have done, because there's literally so much happening that it just you, you sit there getting frustrated. And yeah, if you want to, if you want to find a, a group of fans that are literally on the verge of becoming a religious cult, it's the it's the fans of June, like Star Wars, Star Trek, everyone else is. I'm sorry, it's it, they're not as much of a cult following and religious fanatic aspect to it as you'll get out of um, the June fans. Uh, what about okay? What about the uh, Firefly and the Serenity fan base though? They're um, bit, they're a bit of a religious cult in a way. Not not to the extent of June. Um, June is literally the book for religious cults. It's, it, it revolves around a whole ethos of religious of, of religious fanaticism and. Each book is delves quite deeply into religion and mm-hmm. has a uh, like the religions of the uh, the main characters are based on these mashups of earth religions. So the the Fremen are descended from Zen Sunni uh, wanderers, but then it goes in and you find out that the Bene Gesserit went through and planted these ideas into the religions of each planet. So that if a Bene Gesserit was ever lost on that planet, they could present themselves as the Messiah and make sure that they were kept safe. So religion is quite a big bit of it. Hmm. And the and the when you look at the the fans of June, because it's it's not a simple read. You can't just pick it up and knock it over in a couple of days and truly appreciate it. Like it's well, I think it's pretty much a physical impossibility to just pick it up and read it in a couple of days. Even if you read nonstop for forty-eight hours, doing speed reading, but yeah. the depth that you have to read it, like I've read June, I think I've read it like five times now, and every time I read it, I there's areas that you end up you'll reread a page a few times just to truly understand what's happened in some of it and truly appreciate it because there's so much depth and nuance, and it's the reason why Frank Herbert is listed as like he's one of the all-time greatest authors but also one of the most confounding authors that people swear about because he writes so brilliantly, but he messes with your head in such a massive way. So yeah. and the more you read it, the more you, you sit there thinking about it and you just go, oh, but that's that's freaky. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm just and hoping. Dramatically, it, it's very deep. Yeah, I'm just hoping it doesn't, it doesn't go um, – it doesn't go as bad as what happened with the Dark Tower. Like I've heard some really no, people. We don't need to talk about the Dark Tower. We have. See, that's what I mean. Nobody wants to talk about the Dark Tower. No, we don't even need to bring that up. David Lynch's Dune. Great movie, terrible adaptation. It was so confusing that they had to hand out brochures explaining the movie at showings. <laughs> Because he made this movie with amazing imagery, but it is so far removed from being a good Dune movie. But it's still better than the uh, the Dune sequels uh, by his son. It's just yeah, it's, you. You got to remember, DJ. Like the professor and I are both 
fans of um, Firefly and some of these others that you were saying. And but we both will we'll sit down and ignore the others to to watch June. Like even not like Lynch's nineteen eighty four June is a it's a poor adaption, but you still sit there and it's just like we'll I'll, like I know myself. I would always sit down and watch that more than pretty much any other movie out there because. It is such a, a brilliant movie. Poor adaption, but brilliant movie. And having read the books, you sit there and you go, you watch it to sometimes just to go, you got that wrong, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but then, and that's one of the things that people love about it the most. Like you sit there with certain parts and, yeah. Then there's other parts where it's like they've, they've got certain aspects of the characters so right. You get shivers up your spine. See, with the Dune movies, I'm hoping that um, that they continue on the saga, like they do Dune Messiah, Children of Dune, all these chapters, right? Like, and not do like what they did with the Chronicles of Narnia, where it's basically the Lion, the Witch, the, Witch, the Wardrobe, then uh, then the sequel, then they do, then they skip like two or three books afterwards, and you're like. And you le- and you left wondering what the hell? <laughs> um, I want them all, all six books. There are only six books. <laughs> I may have the other books on my shelf, but I don't look at them. <laughs> I I want um, uh, what's his name? Who did um, the Lord of the Rings? Peter Jackson. Yeah. Peter Jackson yeah. is one of the uh, the few people I think could put it off, but uh, Dennis Villeneuve, I think he has a very good chance as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, Peter Jackson, he's one of those directors. He has the imagination and the vision for something of this sort of scope. There's, I, I like, I wouldn't want James Cameron to do it, even though he's brilliant at so many different things. It's just he would twist it from what it's supposed to be and make it try to make it something different. <laughs> I never let but, go, ball. Yeah, like June's uh, just one of those things. Like you just want someone who's going to do it right. Like that's all and there is. To make it clear about how wrong the uh, the sequels are and the prequels, because they wrote a lot of them now. Um, for the first few books that they wrote, they made a very fundamental error in how Cry's knives work. <laughs> So the Cry's Knife is a blade made from the tooth of a sandworm, and it decays if it isn't near a living body. So mm-hmm. in the uh, books, there's a process where you can fix a Cry's Knife so that it doesn't decay. But the first two books by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson got it reversed, so they thought the fixed Cry's Knives were the ones that would decay. It's kind of like saying a, a sandworm is rep- is repulsed by a, a thumper, not summoned by a thumper. Yeah. It's like, did you guys not proofread this at all? So there's did a you few actually things- even read the first book to, to actually understand it? <laughs> yeah, there's a few things I like from the, uh, the their books, but there's uh, a lot of yeah. things that don't quite fit. Yeah. yeah. It's um, like if Christopher Tolkien was just mediocre instead of as good as his father. <laughs> But anyway, uh, you should uh, tell us about the coronavirus and the film industry. Yeah, so the coronavirus is te- 
doing a big number on the on a lot of things, including the Chinese film industry. People, a lot of people are losing shares. Like, um, so is this just because it shut down the industry, or are the celebrities sick as well? Uh, mostly, they're shutting down the industry. Like, couple of film, couple of film companies are losing money. So, like for example, Wonder Film Holding, um, they fell. 10% to um, 1556 renminbi per share. Um, Huayi Brothers Media crashed 9.9% to 3, 3.81 renminbi per share. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> that's some cheap shares. Yeah, yeah so this is, like this is the, the share price on this stock market. Like China's – pretty much everything on China's stock market is taking a, a beating – from the ugly stick, the savage stick, and all the others, like they got they got an entire forest of trees coming in and just bashing the Chinese <laughs> stock market pretty bad at the moment. I mean, have you seen the photos from Wuhan? The um, it's completely locked down. Nobody's going anywhere, so no money's being spent. It's, have you uh, seen pictures of the border from up at Russia? No, are people fleeing. Apparently, the, the, the Russians have got troops up there watching the border. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today all along Siberia and everything all along like northern China and everything and they've got they've got shit to kill orders apparently apparently so if, you, sh- if you try to escape out out, uh, out of China and go up into Siberia they, they shoot first ask questions later <laughs> yeah it's mean- so like it's so like the average American <laughs> what you know the average American shoot first ask questions later well you, no, you, that's you, the average speaking, it's ask questions later not ask <laughs> All right. okay. From what I've read, this Wuhan flu is somewhere between um, regular flu and Spanish flu in terms of lethality. But I think it has a higher spread rate. But the, the numbers keep changing every day a new report comes out. So I'm not 100% on top of things. What really surprised me about this whole virus situation is how the WHO, a few weeks after the whole incident, have come out saying, oh, it's an epidemic, guys. It's an epidemic. Like, um, well, WH- don't, you don't declare things as an epidemic until certain criteria have been met because an epidemic is a major issue. It's got to be um, so many actually confirmed cases plus so, so many deaths and so forth for it to be considered epidemic. DJ just wants it to, uh, thinks the Who should be like that scene from The Office. I declare epidemic. <laughs> That's the reason why he's not in charge of the WHO. <laughs> Like, honestly, I think the biggest mistake here that they've, they've been making is all in the name. Okay, it's being compared to the flu. So when you have the flu, what's one of the what's one of the things that you always get told you should do? Eat citrus, right? Get the vitamin C content up in you. This is the coronavirus. <laughs> uh, limes. 
The funniest part, um, what was I reading the other day? Someone Wait, said no, that no. he got the cure for he 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 was cured of the um the coronavirus by drinking hot toddy. <laughs> like, oh well, there's vitamin C in hot toddy. Hmm? There's vitamin C in hot toddy. The other thing is, I saw another article where someone was saying he drank way more water than you should probably be drinking um, every day for two weeks, and he was cured of coronavirus. Nah, mate. <laughs> like, coronavirus only lasts for two weeks anyway, so chances are, yeah. Wait, the water probably helped you not get dehydrated, but it's, um, it's not like you would have been sick for any longer if you hadn't. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, anyways, we're kind of teetering off the top topic here, but um, yeah. So when the um when the this, when the first signs of the disease came out, the Chinese markets um traded, and that was on the January twenty third. And Beijing has basically taken several steps to dampen the react the market's reaction to the crisis, and that's um, injecting in one point two trillion renminbi, which is one hundred seventy three billion US dollars of liquidity into the market. Uh, so basically, um, the Shanghai markets fell 8.2% and the composite has dropped 8.3%. So, yeah. Okay. So we're not going to be getting anything uh, out of the Chinese film industry for a while. Although, does the... I'd have to see a graph. Does the Chinese market usually dip around New Year's? It, um, yeah, it dips around... It dips around New Year's because it's holiday season. Yeah, I mean, yeah. well, Chinese New Year, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's only it's only a minor. It's not it's not this dramatic. Like this yeah. is this is getting close to the Wall Street crash. Yeah, fair enough. Although the the it goes on to say that the virus has damaged the um, industry is has been concentrated within China. Um, the one notable North American exception is IMAX, which has six hundred eighty theaters in China. So shares in that theater company's Chinese subsidiary are down twenty seven percent. Okay, like the in your article here, the the this this first thing that jumps out is the major thing most companies shares were suspended from trading not long after the opening bell once they had fallen by the 10 percent daily maximum limit that the chinese regulators allow and that's so, a thing in uh, wall street as well yeah well it's every every market in the world has regulatory controls where if you have certain drops trading is suspended this is not long after the opening bell so market has officially come open for trading and not long after, it's already hit the ten percent drop for um, for most of the companies. Hmm. And the Chinese business is going, "Yep, yeah, you're not trading anymore. You're not trading anymore." It's basically, yeah, just everyone's just going. It's Chinese. <laughs> I'm not having that. You so, know what's going to re- then thanks to the, thanks to this whole thing now, um, Hollywood products will be losing revenue potentially. Hollywood. Hollywood, yeah. Well, uh, why would Hollywood be losing revenue? Only on the international market, surely. No, well, no. See, you're looking at it the wrong way. They'd have more people who are sitting at home without anything else to do. What do you do when you're sick? You sit at home watching TV, feeling sorry for yourself, while you're drinking chicken soup and drinking hot toddies. <laughs> Therefore, you're going to be watching lots of movies, and yeah. So, Netflix. Um, Stan, Hulu, Amazon, they're going to be doing great business. So, therefore, Hollywood's market share is going to increase. 
Well, not the but not the, the not the large format theaters though, like IMAXs and your uh, event cinemas and stuff like that. That's only that's only one part of the market. Like you still got all the um like the equivalent of DVD rentals and that sort of stuff and movie, movie streaming. So yeah, because it's interesting. Um, now that you mention it, he, um, with the whole movie um the movie market, the article saying that the Chinese weekend or uh, Lunar Unit. New Year is the busiest movie-going period by far and expected to generate over $1 billion in box office revenue. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> thanks to the coronavirus, I think, yeah, Netflix, you're right, Netflix and all the um, streaming services will be having a field day with this one, but <laughs> oh, yeah. large movie theaters. <laughs> so, like, honestly, it's a, it, it's, it's, it's a massive, massive market shift, but, yeah, like, uh, every everyone faces these massive issues uh, at different times. Like that's just how you deal with it. It's how you, defines how you're going to respond. So moving along, the uh, next topic for tonight is EA's plans for 2020. They have announced that they have 14 games in the pipeline, which is double the number that they published last financial year. So, um, to, okay, I'm going to say this: Is this a mid-season April Fool's joke? No. Why? Because EA doing this in 2020, what, <laughs> after so games? much flack that has been they've been getting for all, for a while, they don't care about the flack. They're still making money. So anyway, they've confirmed four sports titles, including FIFA and Madden, uh, possibly NHL, and then one other that there's no clues about. Uh, the next four will be titles stirring from the breadth of EA's IP. So they are saying remasters of fan favorites, including Command and Conquer, a VR Medal of Honor, and projects at Motive, Dice, Bioware, and Criterion. So I wonder if uh, what Bioware is working on after the absolute critical success of Anthem. <laughs> and then two mobile titles. And four titles from smaller developers, which are the ones I'm most excited about because they've had stuff like Unravel. Those little games that aren't part of their main IP are some of the most exciting things EA does. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, with the mobile games, do you think that they might be doing um, Fallout 76 on a mobile platform now? <laughs> Good news, that's not EA. That's not EA, so we're safe. Well, you know, like maybe they got involved with it somewhere along the line. Like maybe they've offered to take it away and put it with all the other things that have been going wrong. Well, if it was EA, they probably would have shut down the service by now. <laughs> well, all these games have have an element of surprise mechanics. That's probably. what I wonder. Medal of Honor VR will include the mechanic where when you reload, uh, you can choose to pay extra to buy more bullets. <laughs> Actually, that that because that, that could actually what they might actually do that. You run out of you, you run out of ammunition. You can go raiding bodies, or you can buy ammunition. No, no you raiding can buy bodies. The special ammunition pack for actually. Hang on, we will get Star Citizen guys involved. For seventeen thousand, you get all the guns and all the and unlimited ammunition, with special ammunition, and a tank. Thank you, mate. We'll give you all the vehicles. <laughs> but because it's AI, it'd actually have to be $34,000. <laughs> oh. 
EA. And just to truly um, make the professor swear at me, we can make a gaff about it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. EA Games, it's in the game now. (laughs) As long as you pay for it. Yeah. But uh, so they are also planning a new battlefield. Dragon Age and Star Wars by the end of 2020, sorry, financial year 2020, which ends in March for them. So they've got about 18 months to um, less than, you know, 14 months to release those games. I think, no, no, forget it. My brain is not working. Oh, oh, a new Battlefield uh, after the disaster that was Battlefield Five <laughs> and Star Wars, another Star Wars. Oh, <laughs> well, we just told you the marketing strategy strategy for the new um, Battlefield is for thirty four thousand dollars, you get all the vehicles and all the ammunition. <laughs> oh my God. It's like EA hasn't learned their lesson, have they? I don't get what you're going on about. They've learned their lesson. They're making money. Yeah. So they need to know. <laughs> I'm just making fun of how they're making it. <laughs> so which games are you going to be hyped up the most? Whatever these four indie games are. Mm-hmm. Because I don't give a damn about the sports games. So you're not uh, going to be playing the NBL, NBA live? Ah, no. <laughs> no, you won't. Because uh, they cancelled NBA Live or indefinitely delayed. See, the thing I was looking forward to there, because it's NBA Live, the Battle Royale was just around the corner with exploding basketballs and water bottle grenades. Isn't a a ladder thing like they do for tournaments basically a Battle Royale? Yeah, but this would be live action mayhem so you're actually running around you, you, you have it, it takes it back here we go i'm gonna get in trouble for this one but taking it back to the hood nba live <laughs> the battle royale <laughs> arm yourself with your water bottles you're exploding basketballs <laughs> and your tech nines take that position the last man standing is the champion oh my god so- <laughs> Battle basketball, where yeah. anything is allowed, as long as, <laughs> as you long get the ball in the goal. And as long as you pay for the upgrades. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine in the middle of a, can you imagine in the middle of a, of an NBA live game? Oh, you, your opposition player can shiv your um sh- shiv your players. <laughs> no, 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 no. See, you're thinking too small. We're not just going to shiv them. We're going to roll in the howitzer. <laughs> you've got, you got someone jumping up to do a slam dunk or taking a three-point shot, and you have someone turn around, they pull out a sniper rifle at the other end and shoot him, or they bring out a rocket a rocket launcher and shoot him with the rocket launcher. This you get ta- bonus points for that. Oh, I was, this takes the whole man in the grassy knoll to a whole new level. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear JFK wasn't assassinated with a basketball. <laughs> But was he? He might have been a smaller basketball. No, I've seen the footage. There was no basketball. Basketballs would have bounced. DJ, you can calm down now. It wasn't that funny. I know, but I'm just... 
He's lost it. Okay. While we're waiting for the DJ to pull himself together, what have you been playing, Buck? What have I been playing? Yeah. Um, well, I've, yeah. I've been playing the goose and making <laughs> making fun of all this sort of stuff, but uh, I've been playing Hero Wars, which is a game that is constantly advertised on Facebook to an alarmingly annoying and where they have all the puzzles, which I did actually get a couple of puzzles, but it's not as many as what you're, I was hoping for. So I'm I'm quite upset and disappointed with so I, I enjoy puzzles. They didn't have it. They haven't got a constant flow of puzzles for me. A bit of a bait and switch. Yes. What is the content that is non-puzzle then? It's a turn-based battle. So you build your team up and you go out and you just grind your way through battles again. And it's all the it's automatic fighting for combat. But then you have um, special power attacks that you can set onto auto as well, otherwise, or you can use them on your own, and you have to build up your characters and all that. But it needs a lot more puzzles. I need a puzzle game. If anyone can recommend a puzzle game for me, I'm happy. I'll check it out. So what about you, DJ? DJ? Yeah. No, he still has a record. He, he oh, cackled so much, he laughed his head off. What have you been playing, DJ? I've been playing Iron Sight. It's <laughs> it's a um, first person shooter. It's similar to battle, to the old Battlefield games in terms of you get um, in terms of weaponry and the class systems they have. No, it's not. It's, this isn't the old Battlefield games. Oh, you never played Battlefield Three? Well, that's not the old oh. Battlefield games. The old oh. Battlefield games were with real Iron Sights. Set in World War Two. This has got yeah. There's not a single iron sight in the uh, screenshots on the Steam page. All so, all uh, ACOGs. <laughs> oh, there, there's there is there, there is an iron sight or two. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking for them at the moment. I'm watching the trailer. I don't see any iron sights yet. But um, with the with iron sight, yeah, um, it's a team based first person shooter. You've you get to you get to have fun with this game, and um, you get some new additions as well. Like you get you get to use your drones, you get to use EMP um, grenades. So it has a bit of Call of Duty and a, and a bit of um, Battlefield in in this game, basically. Uh, I'm seeing in the map some interesting map destruction. Is that um actually in the game? Like one of the scenes in the trailer. Sorry, one of the scenes in the trailer is a. Wind turbine falling over. Yeah, you do also get some map destruction as well in this game. It's but a, yeah, it's a battle max. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a modernized version of Battlefield 2442? 2049. No, that's Blade Runner. No, that, that I think it was, but there was also Battlefield 20. I think it's 2049. Hang on a second. Wait for him to be wrong. Waiting, <laughs> waiting. Uh, Battlefield. Twenty-one forty-two. Okay. Um, no, it's more Call of Duty in a sense where you get your ground, you get your drones, you get your helicopter um, power-ups. That's what it just reminds me of more. Oh, yeah. right. There is one gun that has iron sights. <laughs> That's the pistol, isn't it? No, even the pistols have got the hologram sight. It was one of the um, submachine guns. Um, with iron sights, even the knife have... had a um, hologram sight. Um, with Ironside, the game, you um, there are two factions in this game. You've got Eden and um, the and, NAF. Yeah, NAF. Yep, that's one. I know more about this game than you do, and I haven't even played it. <laughs> um, was it Call of Counter Strike 
go. Global Offensive that had the um, boat as a as one of the maps. Uh, there's a few games that do that. There's one in Siege as well. Yeah, yeah. Is it, 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 there's, there's some some of the maps in this are looking very similar to stuff out of um, CS:GO and yeah. a couple of those uh, others. This is like well that. It- um, you can also stealth kill in this game, so yeah, that's the fun. That's also a fun thing to do. Well, yeah. you can stealth kill in um, a lot of the other games that you used to be able to get that weren't battle royale. You could do land session. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've been playing the oh, original that, Quake. Oh, sorry, the, Buck. Sorry, I just there, there were two more guns that had iron sights <laughs> at, at the end of the second trailer. <laughs> right. Well, I've been playing the original um, Quake. It feels a lot, plays a lot like Doom, but uh, without the cool rock music. Because I found out after I was finished playing for the night that the Steam release of Quake doesn't have the soundtrack included. Oh. Must be a licensing issue, maybe, because the soundtrack was done by uh, Trent Reznor. I remember playing this back in the day so often. Fun times, fun times. I remember we um, weren't supposed to have it on the computers at one particular location I was at, and we um, went and hid it in the server and sitting uh-huh. sitting in our um, computer labs, and we had it all there, and we were playing it. And then Quake three, and then Quake two came, and then Quake three Arena. There were a lot of Quake games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, do you remember the soundtrack being any good? Um, we we always had to play it without the soundtrack most of the well, a lot of the time because. We're playing it where we weren't supposed to be playing it, so we couldn't really advertise it. Fair enough. So, for our shout-outs this week. Um, how many um, nerdy beanies, by the way? Good question. Uh, I'd actually only give it a two and a half. I'd rate it lower than Doom. Oh. Yep. What about you guys? What do you rate your games? I'm only going to give mine a one. That's oh, because I'm only going to give mine a one because they stuffed it up, but... Not having the puzzles. Yeah. Um, here's the original soundtrack, apparently. Well, okay, I'll have to check that. I've heard that there's mods to put it back into, so I'll take yeah. a look at that sometime. So, for our shout-outs this week, on the 31st of January this year, Mary Higgins Clark died. She was a fix- fixture on bestseller lists for her, uh, for her 50 novels, more than 50 novels, and she was known as the Queen of Suspense. Her last book was published in November. She describes herself as being a good Irish storyteller and passed away in Naples, Florida at the age of 92. And on the 3rd of February, 1995, astronaut Eileen Collins became the first woman to pilot the space shuttle on mission STS-63 from Kennedy Space Center. They traveled within 37 feet of Mir as part of the uh, shuttle Mir program to prepare for work for the International Space Station. And on the 3rd of February this year, it was announced that Supernova would be coming back to Adelaide. After popular demand from fans, they've decided that they're going to bring back a show that focuses predominantly on the superstars and less on the extras that don't resonate as well in South Australia. They are also moving the Brisbane show to the 6th to the 8th of November with Adelaide the following weekend. And on the 3rd of February 2020, uh, Gene Reynolds passed away. He was the director, producer and writer behind MASH, Lou Grant and Room 222. He started out as a child actor at MGM. He says that in directing, he's always looking for the little human touch, something that is real. It could be very, very small. I'm looking for humanity, really. He died at Providence St. Joseph Medical Center in Burbank at 96. Mm -hmm. And on the 5th of February, another great Hollywood loss, 
Kirk Douglas, who's famous for Spartacus and Champion. In his most famous scene from Spartacus, his fellow rebels rise to declare, I'm Spartacus, when told their lives will be spared if they identify him, which is a, a famous bit of the Spartacus legend, where Spartacus led the rebels away from the Romans, but when they were captured, they all chose to be put to death rather than give up their hero. Mm-hmm. And is uh, parodied in Life of Brian when the they come to get Brian off the cross and everyone starts pretending that they're Brian. He died in Beverly Hills, California at 103. And on to remembering. Sorry, actually, one more shout out. This week, a spaceship, a, sorry, an ISS mission ended, including Christina Koch, or who was the woman with the longest record of spaceflight. Mm-hmm. That was on the uh, the release day here is um, the 6th of February. Okay. Um, uh, do you have she's... the length of the flight? Uh, it was 328 days. And is the, single, is the second longest single space flight by a US astronaut and also places her seventh on the list of cumulative time in space for American astronauts for one or more missions. So, on to our remembrances. On the 3rd of February, 1468, we have Johannes Klenflesch Zerladen Sam Gutenberg, the German blacksmith, goldsmith, inventor, printer, and publisher who developed the Gutenberg Press, which was a huge revolution in book publishing. Before the Gutenberg Press, books would be written down by hand, and he's responsible for spreading the Gutenberg Bible, which was the first printed edition of the Bible. Mm-hmm. He died around 68 in Mainz in the Holy Roman Empire. And on the 3rd of February, 1935, Hugo Junkers, the German aircraft engineer and designer who created the Junkers fighting fighter and bomber aircraft that were common in the German Air Force in World War II. And the Junkers were the aircraft that carried the Jericho trumpet, which is where the sound of the whistles from the uh, from old movies when bombing raids happened. Uh, they added a little fan device to the aircraft that would produce that sound, but it also went down by 10 to 20 uh, kilometers per hour. So it was part of the psychological warfare aspect of the bombing. Mm-hmm. So, but there are a lot of movies that have that aircraft that are not junkers. <laughs> and of movies where when the aircraft is crashing, they play that. Yeah, the other plane that had it was the, that used to scream as it was coming down. Yes, and on the uh, 3rd of February, 1959, we have the day the music died. Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper were all killed in a plane crash, together with their pilot, Roger Peterson. The event only became known as the day the music died after Don McLean's 1971 song, American Pie. And for famous birthdays, on the 3rd of February, 1480, uh, Ferdinand Magellan, the Portuguese explorer who organized the Spanish expedition from the East Indies, from 1519 to 1522, resulting in the first circumnavigation of the Earth, was born in Sabrosa. And also on the 3rd of January, 3rd of February, sorry, 1859, we have again Hugo Junkers, the German pilot, well, German aircraft designer, was born and died on the same day, years apart. Bingo. Yes, and I did just look it up. The uh, Junkers JU-87, which had the, um, the Jericho trumpet, was known as the Stuka. Ah, okay. So they are the same aircraft. I wasn't sure if it was the same one or it was a different one. I just, yeah, I remember the, the Stuka dive bomber was the one that was the one problem for the sound, so. Yeah, it took me into, I had to double check myself. 
So on the 3rd of February, 1939, Vladimir Yeganovich Pre- you picked some, some fun names for me tonight. <laughs> the Russian engineer and cosmonaut graduated from the Moscow Aviation Institute, Soviet Air Force. He worked at the Gagarin Cosmonaut Training Center. He was born in Leningrad, now known as St. Petersburg. And on the 3rd of February, 1970, Warwick Davis, who played the title characters in Willow and the Leprechaun films, several characters in Star Wars, Professor Flitwick and Grippook in Harry Potter. He's also appeared in sitcoms, Doctor Who, theatre, and he has an autobiography called Size Matters Not. He was born in Epsom, Surrey. And for the events of interest, on the 3rd of February, 1961, the United States Air Force began Operation Looking Glass. And for 30 years, a doomsday plane was always in the air with the ability to take over direct control of uh, United States nuclear response in the event of the destruction of the SAC's command post. Just another bit of the horrifying uh, Cold War mentality, always being ready to go and end the world. Mm-hmm. On the 3rd of February, 1966, the Lunik 9 landed on the lunar surface. This was the first controlled landing on the moon when the unmanned Soviet spacecraft Lunik 9 touched down. And on the 3rd of February 1981, John Buster and the research team at Harbour UCLA Medical Center announced the first embryo transfer from one woman to another, resulting in a live birth. Now, that seems to be all we have for tonight. Do you guys have anything to add? Uh, Maybe we should give a teensy shout-out to uh, My Song Suck. They've got some concerts coming up, as I heard. Okay, so will you post the details for our man Alex Smith's concerts on the uh, Facebook page for us, DJ? Yeah, sure. And also in the show notes. (laughs) Um, We've also got a new podcast coming up. We have an an alert for a podcast pending. (laughs) And who would that be? This story, Chunder. If you want to know more about it, they have a Facebook page and there'll be information there. So apparently they had an event on the 3rd of February. So I'm not sure exactly what's happening here, but it sounds like fun. So you'd have to check it out and go see what's happening and help them out. Right. Yet another member of the TNC family. Yep. TNC family tree must be ridiculously huge now. Hey, podcasting's become a growing thing. It is. All right, then. So we will see you next week with uh, the two year and one week anniversary episode. (laughs) (laughs) Remember to um, make sure you look after yourselves and take care of each other and stay hydrated. See you guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.